Welcome to Light Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno. In 1949, Gene Crane was the number one box office draw in Hollywood based on the money her movies made that year. Her controversial film, Pinky, was not only financially successful, but it earned Crane an Academy Award nomination as Best Actress. The beautiful star had a blossoming career, a loving husband, and eventually seven children. But along with the accomplishments and money were disappointments. Her career became stagnant at her home studio, 20th Century Fox. The relationship between her mother and her husband was contentious, to say the least. And her idyllic marriage was marred by public betrayal. Through the glorious times, as well as the darker ones, Jean Crane moved forward with beauty, grace, and dignity. Her life was an interesting Cinderella story. With a gorgeous face and a petite figure, she claimed her place in classic film history. Rupert Alistair is a lover of classic movies since his youth, and he enjoys sharing this passion with other like-minded fans. He has written numerous books on classic Hollywood and Hollywood films, ranging in subject from pre-code movies to little-known gems and the wide-range search for an actress to play Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. He has written a book about the life and career of Gene Crane entitled The Girl Next Door, which has recently come out in Kindle version. Let's join the conversation now. Rupert Alistair, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Now, your book is called The Girl Next Door, which is the story of the life and career of the actress Jean Crane. And and she was more, was she more of a character actress? Or, I mean, she was a star, star for a little while, but then became a character actress. Isn't that correct? Well, she was a star. She was a star almost from the beginning of her career. Um, she never really went into uh, a character actor phase. Her very last um, feature film was called Skyjacked. It was kind of a take on the uh, airplane airport movies. Yes. Uh, and she was more of a, of, a, of a cameo guest star than she was a character actress. I see. Okay. Um, but anything uh, you know before that, she, she played the lead. As a matter of fact, one of the points that I bring up in, uh, in the, I think, the introduction of my book about her is um, her very first film was an Alice Faye musical called The Gang's All Here. And she had a, a one-line little bit, and that was her very first film. But after that, everything after that, she had uh, some sort of star billing. Um, so she she uh, she was a, a big star in her day. Yes. Um, I also mentioned I also mentioned the, the the beginning of of the book that she um, she never made it to the level of a Betty Davis or or Alana Turner. She wasn't of that superstar status. But in in her particular in her heyday of the late forties and the very early fifties, uh, she was one of the biggest stars that Twentieth Century Fox had. Now she started out. I mean, she was um you were going or she was going to be or I want to say um, Orson Welles wanted her in the Magnificent Ambersons, but the studio the studio said no. We don't want her. We want we want a a better known, I guess a I guess a more well known star or a more natural acting actor because she had some issues with her screen test, didn't she? Uh, she did. Uh, I, I think it was more Wales decision than the studio. She, he saw her in, uh, the story goes that he saw her in the RKO commissary. She had won a beauty pageant. She was very big into beauty pageants as a teenager. And she had uh, one of the prizes that she won was a uh, trip, to a tour of the RKO studios. And 
saw her there with the other uh, winners of various contests, and uh, I guess he liked what he saw. She had that certain something, and so he sent one of his people over to ask her if she was interested in uh, you know, an interview with him, talking to him. He, he had her in mind for this picture. And um, so she and her mother, uh, at a set, a set appointed time, went uh, to his office. She did have the test, but whatever he saw in her in person, he said, didn't translate in uh, open film. Uh, that she was a little young and a little inexperienced, um, you know, as far as the way that it translated on the film. And she was already in her in her uh, early twenties, then, wasn't she? Now, when Magnificent Ambersons was made, when these tests were done, no, she was uh, about fifteen or sixteen. Oh, really? She was okay. Still pretty young. Oh, yeah. She um, that was her first. That was her first touch with uh, with acting for movies, um, and then it kind of backed off until she um, won some more uh, contests and then uh, beauty contests. And then she became a model for the photographer William Mortensen. And um, it was kind of a combination of her, some, some talent agents saw her and saw these photos and uh, knew of her beauty pageant days. And with her, with her looks and her figure and things like that, that was the name of the game in the days. And they showed interest in this young woman. And that's when she started to take off. What? Uh, tell me about the title of the book, um, "The Girl Next Door." Well, she was one of uh, during the period uh, in the post-war years. That was a genre. That was a not a genre, but that was a persona uh, of certain actresses. It was the girl next door, the 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 homespun, uh, very pretty, very attractive, um, but not the alluring sex pot. Uh, MGM had uh, June Allison, uh, Warner Brothers had Joan Leslie, and Jean became the, the 20th Century Fox version of The Girl Next Door. Donna Reed was a girl next door, um, so there were several. It was, it was very popular in the post-war years uh, to have that girl waiting for her man at the end of the war to come home to. But she was also, I mean, she also was invited to a lot of parties. I remember, I remember reading on the on her Wikipedia page, she was named the what the biggest party girl in in Hollywood. Yeah, that was uh, that was in the fifties. I think she uh, kind of took on that moniker. She and at that time she would was married. By then, she and her husband they made the the nightclub rounds and the party rounds. Um, I think it was more of a it was more of a social tagline than uh this wild image oh um, they okay. were just very very social couple very very social people and um but she was never she never in her in her private life or really in her on-screen image uh was very uh, for lack of a better word like a wild girl uh, she married young and was married to the same man uh, you know throughout her life and they had uh, several children together that's a rarity in hollywood it was. It was. They had seven children. Uh, her husband's name was Paul Brinkman. Mm -hmm. uh, he started out as a minor actor at Warner Brothers. He looked very much like Errol Flynn, and Warner's hired him. There's a chapter in the book about him and about this specific uh, instance. They hired him to, quote, keep Flynn in his place. So <laughs> he would go and sit in the studio commissary during uh, lunch breaks when, when Flynn was filming, 
and uh, just to kind of keep him in line, just to let him see that somebody else was there. And they said he did more acting in the commissary when Flynn was there than he actually did in front of the uh, camera. <laughs> so that was funny. But uh, yeah, they uh, they married. They had seven children. Uh, they were Gene was a very devout Catholic. So they they had many children. Um, they had a their marriage was turbulent at times, but they did remain married uh, throughout their lives. They didn't live together at points, did they? Uh, at the end of of their marriage and their life, or Jean's life, Jean passed away first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hadn't lived together for several years. They lived in close proximity um, in the Santa Barbara area, but they didn't live together. No. That that in itself was, um, I mean, it, yes, they had some turbulent times, and but they didn't live together as a man and wife, which which is unusual. But then again, yeah. though, they were married. Oh, let me see, my math is going to be. Oh boy, I get the I get to do my math here. Um, almost sixty <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah, they married, and uh, on New Year's Eve in nineteen forty five, and uh, Jean passed away, or her husband actually passed away in October of 2003 and she passed away two months later wow and yeah 50 i want to say 58 years Mm -hmm. which is amazing even for non-hollywood people it it, it is yeah it really is and she she married very young too she was 20 when they married right he was i believe um i think he was seven years older than her so uh which is even more unusual because you've got a 20 year old finding, I guess, what you call her, her her love of her life. And so often in today's, do you think somebody like Jean Crane, was it was it usual in those days for, for um, stars to be married like this? Or because now nowadays, you know, if you're married for three years, you're doing a great job. Right. Uh, at the time, I guess, I guess it, it depended a lot on the circumstances. And... Um, also, her background, her religion, uh, like I say, she was a devout Catholic. She mm-hmm. she wasn't just, you know, uh, had a religious theme or was raised a certain way. She was devout in her in her uh, faith. That had a lot to do with it because uh, from, from what I understand, there was a lot to, to have to deal with. He wasn't uh, the most faithful man. Uh, and so there were issues with that. And But she wanted to stay married. She was determined to stay married. And... Um, I think that had a lot to do with it too, and maybe also her that she married so young. Um, she she had, you know, she had dated around a little bit before they got together. But their getting together was was a story in itself. Her mother was very very much against uh, her marriage to Paul Brinkman. That was my next uh, question. Then, yeah, was was yeah. Uh, tell me about this meeting because, like you said, the mother did not care much for for Paul Brinkman. No, no. Uh, she met him when she was even uh, even younger. I think they had met and went out for the first time in 1943 when Jean was 18. And um, for whatever the reasons, her, her mother guided her career. I don't know that we would go as far as to say she was a stage mother, but she guided her career. She encouraged her in the beauty pageant circuit. And, uh, and then when she uh, started working under contract for 20th Century Fox, so she she had a certain amount of control over her, um, and that was one aspect when he came into Jean's life that she couldn't control. Um, not only that, I, I think she saw some of the things maybe 
that came out uh, later after they were married, you know, in his personality, um, that maybe it was things she wanted someone a little more stable. Also, the studio uh, was very much against it. Uh, the, she was a young woman. She was one of their starlets to start out with, so they wanted her to be free and available. Um, they also could see a certain amount of control in Paul Brinkman. He would he would show up on her sets uh, after they did get married. He would show up on the set, and he would tell her she needed to do a scene this way or that way, uh, and they didn't like that at all. He He always constantly seemed to be around, so they had to actually address that. Um, so there was there was a, a little blow up right before they married uh, with, between Jean and her mother, and um, and and Jean didn't like it even even on their honeymoon they uh, were out at um, in the desert uh, in the California desert they went for their honeymoon they both enjoyed the desert and um, Jean just couldn't feel right about the whole thing until she got home and cleared cleared things away with her mom. Wow. And eventually, uh, obviously, eventually, they they became to accept accept Paul Brinkman as part of the life. Well, more because they had to than by yes. choice. Um, yeah, there was there was a, a certain contentiousness between the two, between the mother-in-law and the son-in-law, all all the way through until until the end of her life. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, um, I worked a lot on the book with one of Jean's daughters. And she would tell me that um, at the end of Jean's mother's life, um, she he, he would help her. He would help Jean with this woman that he hadn't gotten along with. I think it was two-sided. It wasn't just, you know, one didn't like the other. Neither one of them cared very much for the other one. <laughs> but um, according to Jean's daughter, he did take help her take care of her mother, um, tried to be there and support, you know, and help in any way he could. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Author. I'm talking with Rupert Alistair about his book, The Girl Next Door. Let's look at her career for a little bit because, you know, she started out uh, basically, I mean, she was um, from the good, like you said, the good go. She uh, she had a big hit with, um, with oh, what am I calling? Home in Indiana. Home in Indiana. And, um, and that continued up through World War II, um, and but it was it was during the fifties, I believe, or late forties, early fifties, when she started making some really well known films. Um, Pinky is is what's coming to mind. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about her career, early career before going to uh, before the fifties. Well, uh, she wasn't. I write that there are a lot of people, a lot of her contemporaries who had worked long and hard. They'd worked many years. They had taken roles that were not necessarily the roles they wanted to. They were small. They were, you know, uh, weren't. They didn't think they were worthy of them. And with her, uh, her career just kind of took off immediately. She didn't really have to to pay those specific kind of dues. Um, uh, Daryl Epzanik, who was the head of 20th Century Fox, he had been away. Uh, doing war activities. He was in the service at that time. And Gene was actually hired in a wave of uh, contract star starlets and leading men who was hired while he was away. And when he came back uh, to the helm of, of his office there at Fox, he wanted to meet the, the new talent that had been hired while he was gone. And Gene was among those who was hired. And he um, he really saw something in her. He he was notorious. He was a notorious womanizer. I was going to say, and, yeah. 
And there were a lot of the the uh, the starlets and whatnot that he you know would use the casting couch. But Jean was not not one of those. He looked on her, I think, more as a daughter figure. He always took her under his wing. He was always very protective of her. And he saw something in her uh, with this role in Home in Indiana, and he told her that that he wanted her to test for it, and she did. And he liked what he saw in the test, and so that's how she was hired almost immediately uh, in this leading role. She and June Haver. June Haver uh, also made her debut in the Alice Faye musical I mentioned earlier. They made that debut together, and then they made their first leading parts together uh, as romantic rivals for Lon McAllister in Home in Indiana. Yes. So she she went from there, and she uh, went on almost uh, immediately. It was the next year into State Fair. Which really was uh, was the big time for her. It was extremely popular. It was right uh, at the it, the war hadn't quite ended when it came out, but it was very uh, very Americana, uh, and the nation was you know ready for that sort of thing. And um, so it was colorful musical, and she she hit it big with that. Then, she then went on uh, the the next movie that she went on was her first leading role in a film that she carried herself, and that was Margie. Uh, like I say, that was and that was a huge hit for Fox uh, that year, and that really pushed her over into to big time stardom because it, uh, it was the first picture that um, was going to be a hit or a miss on her name alone. And uh, fortunately for her, it was a hit. She also was um, a member. Um, <laughs> excuse me. She was also the uh, showed off her skating ability, didn't she? I'm pardon her what? Her skating ability. Yes. Yeah, she she was known uh, for her skating, and uh, in that film, she she got to show that off some. Yes. Now after that, after that, she uh, I mean, <laughs> she never really went into a career slump like a lot of these a lot of these starlets come out, you know, and they they either like you said have to work for years before they get a before they get the role they want, or they go through a, a big flash and then it, it slumps off for a year and then they or I'm sorry for a while. And then it comes back. But she never did. She went right into some, like, Letter of Three Wives. Um, yeah. Pinky. I mean, these are, I mean, these are well-known films. Yes. Yes. She, so her career after State Fair and Margie, uh, she married. Um, as a matter of fact, she came back early from her honeymoon to begin filming on Margie. And so she was a newlywed. And as I said, she, uh, she was a devout Catholic. So it wasn't long after she married at all that she became pregnant with her first child, uh, and that was in 1940. Uh, she she was expecting in 1946, and the child was born in 1947. So for uh, they were Fox was ready for her to get back into the groove. It wasn't even like she missed a beat. They already had projects planned for her when she came back from her maternity leave, and uh, some of these were apartment for Peggy was a very popular one uh, that she did when she first came back. When the year after that, uh, she was doing a letter to three wives, uh, a version of Lady Windermere's fan, and she just never really missed a beat with her career. Um, she just increased in popularity at Fox, and there was even uh, one account that um, her fan mail was second only to Betty Grable, who was considered the queen of the lot at that time. She was actually on the ascent of her career as Betty Grable's was starting to decline. Betty was getting a little older. And that sort of thing. She, uh, at one point during this period, she was cast as uh, the character Clementine in the Western, My Darling Clementine, with Henry Fonda and right. Victor Mature. And uh, but there was a, a memo 
Hollywood was famous for its memos of its moguls. <laughs> there was a memo from Daryl Zanuck um, to John Ford, who was directing that particular picture, saying that there was just no way that Gene could play this part of Clementine, that it was just too small, um, that her career had grown so in the time that that movie was being filmed that uh, she was the hottest property on the lot, and, and there was just no way that she could do such a small part. How did she feel about that? Because, I mean, that sounded like a, um, even though it was small, it seemed like a plum role for any actress. Well, because uh, the part was, Linda Darnell was the actual leading lady in that movie. Right. She played Chihuahua, the, the bad girl. And the part was played by Kathy Downs, whose career never really took off. And mm. and um, while that movie was being made, had she done that, she would have missed out on some, uh, she would have most likely missed out on Margie, because I think they were going in simultaneous production cycle. Um, so she actually, it, it was much better for her to forego that part. And I assume Zanuck knew that, like I say, as he was taking her under his wing and wanting to guide her career, uh, that she because she was becoming so big. Um, so I think she was probably fine with the, with the direction. And, and there were many projects that she was named for that she just didn't have the time to, you know, to work on them all. Or some of them were just scrapped like studios would do then. She, uh, but then, so when she was pregnant with her second child, the part of Pinky was coming up. It was a big talk on uh, the lot that it was going to be a big film, big production, a big social drama. Uh, for those who don't know, Pinky was uh, about a young African-American woman who passed for white uh, in the days when that was a really big deal. And uh, there were a lot of actresses interested in the role. Linda Darnell, that we just mentioned, was very interested in it. She was dark and sultry looking. Uh, Lena Horne, who was African-American, mm -hmm. was under contract at MGM. And she was uh, really hitting hard with, with the people over at Metro wanting to, to try and, and test for that part. She was very interested in it. Um, so ironically, Zanuck uh, had her had Jean, who was called, quote, the whitest girl on the lot, yeah. <laughs> uh, play the part. And there were many reasons suggested for why that was. One was that um, because she was so, quote, unquote, white, that the drama, the things that would happen to Pinky would seem even more severe because the public knew that this was, you know, this ultra white, um, waspy girl. And, um, but she, she ended up after making the film, it was, uh, her only Oscar nomination. She was nominated for an Academy Award in a, a dramatic uh, lead. Tell me why, why, uh, did you, uh, what, what made you decide to write this book? Uh, well, that's a very good question. Uh, she had always been uh, one of my favorite actresses of the period. Um, I think I saw my first Gene Crane movie when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old, and it was Dangerous Crossing, which was one of her latter films at Fox. It was just it was a programmer. It wasn't one of her big ones, but it was a, it was a thriller, and I enjoyed it as a as a youth. And then a few years later, I saw Margie and really became a fan and watched more of her films and just became interested in her. I've always been interested in stars or, or even historical figures where there's little, where there's less known than some of the bigger people. You know, there have been volumes and volumes written of like Betty Davis, Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, 
but there there had only been one actual book written about Gene. It was written back in the 70s. And it was a very slim volume, uh, and it was more about uh, – it was almost a, a small reference book. It just went into you know like some of the basics of her films and, and birth dates and things like that. And she always interested me, so I began researching uh, just really for myself more than anything else. And then there was um, – I had written I had written a blog before I started writing uh, my books, and there was interest on the blog in something about Gene Crane. And I said, I'm interested in that too. And so my personal research just grew and developed uh, into this book. And uh, it's had some really good response because there is so little out there about about Gene. Mm -hmm. Um, And this goes into a a lot more depth than just the general stuff that that you would get, you know, in a reference book about Hollywood. Exactly. And, you know, so it really, she just, you know, it just kind of just kind of happened. It was serendipitous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's your favorite film of hers? Uh, my favorite film is easy to answer. It's A Letter to Three Wives. Ah, okay. Um, she, it's not even her strongest film. Uh, the film itself is very strong. It's very popular. I know very few people who have watched it who didn't really like it. The general consensus is, though, that uh, Linda, the Dunda Darnell character, Laura May, in that film is their favorite. And I agree, Linda Darnell is actually one of my personal favorites as well. But uh, because I have this particular affinity for for Jean Crane, um, obviously I, I like her part in it. But it's not uh, on an acting level; it's not one of her strongest films. Um, but the whole, the everything that comes together. Joseph Mankiewicz was the director of that film, uh, and he won a Best Director and Best Writing for it, which is the same thing he did the following year. He duplicated those wins in All About Eve. So it's just a film that comes together on so many levels, and Gene just happened to be a part of that. So uh, that's by far my favorite of her films. Since I mentioned All About Eve, I will say uh, that Gene Crane was actually the original choice to play Eve. Really? Which was, right? ended up playing by Ann Baxter. There were there were a couple of, of stories of why she did not play it. The general uh, theme is that she didn't play the part because she became pregnant. That happened a lot in her career. She lost mm-hmm. a lot of plum roles um, because of her pr- various pregnancies. Uh, I, that did play a part in it, but also uh, Joe Mankiewicz, who did uh, direct that film, he wasn't a big fan of Gene Crane. Mm-hmm. He thought that her acting uh, was wooden, um, that she didn't really get into her part, that she didn't you know, live the roles that she played, that she hung it up on a coat rack when she left for the day and just picked it back up the next day. So there was some sparring between he and Daryl Zanuck, who there again wanted to promote Gene's career. Uh, He was a big boon to her career since he was the boss. Uh, He wanted her to play it. um, And Ann Baxter even said in an interview that, uh, you know, they really wanted her, but Joe Manquins didn't. And the pregnancy kind of just answered you know, made the final decision for them. Exactly. So, so she missed out on that. But then again, though, I mean, she, uh, you know, she had many, many hits otherwise in her career. So, yeah, that particular role she lost out on, but she had such great career otherwise. She did. 
She did, and but it disappointed her as well because um, that film, the production on that film started just after she had finished Pinky, and that was really the high point in her career. Pinky was. Uh-huh. Um, I actually start the book out. The very first part of the book is uh, the night in uh, 1949 when she's putting her hand prints in the cement at Grauman yes. Chinese Theater. And that was, uh, like I said, that was the big, that was the culmination of her career. That was the peak. Um, Pinky was a big hit. She had been nominated for an Oscar, or uh, she actually would be nominated. I think that would come in a couple of months later. Um, and so she was riding this high, this career high. She had had, uh, she was going to be having this child when she came back, um, from maternity leave for that particular child. I think that was her third child when the all about Eve production was going in. Instead of playing this plum role of Eve, Fox cast her yet again as a, uh, as a homespun teenager <laughs> in cheaper by the dozen. Wow. So that was a big hit as well, yeah. but she uh and she was actually second uh second build. I think she was billed over Myrna Loy in that because she was actually under contract to Fox. Myrna wasn't, so Clifton Webb got the top billing and then Jean. But she was the eldest daughter Anne. Uh and it was it was just a, a it was another of those teenager roles that uh, that she had played for so long, and she wanted she had she had become spoiled with Pinky. She wanted more. She wanted meteor roles. Meteor roles. Um, and so she was, you know, petitioning Fox and Zanuck. You know, I want you know I want these good meaty roles, um, but they continue to put her in you know these roles as teenager. I think the next role in was um, Take Care of My Little Girl, where yes. she played a college co-ed, a freshman at that going into a sorority uh, and the film was about the the dark side of sororities or whatnot as dark as it could be in 1951 <laughs> um but uh so that was that was the thing and that was actually why she ended up leaving fox uh was because she just didn't feel like she was going to get anywhere um and 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 after she left fox her her career really changed it really took a um i don't want to say a downturn but she didn't have that security that the studio you know offered her um and and she was getting older as well she was um pushing 30 at that time and and during the 50s you know 30 wasn't uh the bloom of youth you know as it's seen these days (laughs) well rupert alistair i really appreciate you talking today i've really enjoyed talking with you the book is the girl next door the life and career of gene crane it's available on amazon uh, since we're in social distancing, I would say go online. I, normally, I'd say go to your bookstore. You can find it anywhere. But <laughs> in this day and age, you can go online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and pick it up really easily. Rupert, again, thank you for doing this. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You can find more information about the book, The Girl Next Door, at Amazon.com. Until next time, for Lights, Camera, Author, I'm Jim Juno.